and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode number 9.2, the second episode in our series on Crater Lake National Park. In this episode, Brian speaks with park ranger John Dewey. John is the education coordinator at the Crater Lake Science and Learning Center. John gives us lots of tips for a family planning a trip to Crater Lake National Park. Before we get to the conversation, we would like to ask for your help to grow our audience by telling your friends, subscribing, and leaving a review. Also, we love creating each episode, but it takes significant time and effort. Please consider supporting our work through Patreon, which provides a way for listeners to support the show. Just go to our website, everybodysnationalparks.com, and click on support the show. Thank you for listening. Now for this week's discussion on Crater Lake National Park. So I'm with John Dewey, the education coordinator for the Science and Learning Center at Crater Lake National Park. Hey, John, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Brian. Um, well, first off, uh, what, what kind of weather are you getting up there now, now that we're getting pretty much into the depths of winter? Where, what's it like right now? You know, it's it's really sunny and clear. We've had uh, nothing but sunshine for weeks now, and it's forecasted to continue this way through the beginning of next week, and then we see a lot of snowflake icons on the forecast, and we're expecting to be uh, seeing a pretty a pretty big change in the weather to to winter uh, wintry conditions right around Thanksgiving. So yeah, that's funny. You mentioned that as I look out our window, we're getting our first snowfall uh, of the season right now on Long Island. So uh, oh, wow. I, I guess with that, we're with you, although I think you get a little bit more snow than we do up at Crater Lake. But why don't we even start there? Just so uh, I, I just came from a trip with my brother a few months ago to Crater Lake, my first time, his second time. Let's just start really basic. What is Crater Lake? What is Crater Lake National Park? Crater Lake National Park is a big lake. It's the deepest lake in the United States. And that's one of the reasons it's protected, but uh, but the place is spectacular. It's 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 actually a caldera, so a, an enormous collapsed volcano on the crest of the High Cascades in southern Oregon. And, you know, about 7% of the park is the lake itself, which is about 2,000 feet deep. It's about 5 trillion gallons of water. But then the other 93% or so of the park is old growth forest through several different forest regimes, depending on the elevation going up the mountainside. It's been protected since 1902, which makes it one of the really the few old growth forests that you'll find in the Pacific Northwest. And that's one of the things that makes it really special as well. And uh, John, just give me exactly where Crater Lake is in, in Oregon, in the, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, so it's in uh, southern Oregon, southwestern Oregon. If you look at any map, you'll see the large mountain chain that goes up kind of the middle of Oregon, up, up the west side a little bit, but it's the High Cascades. And that High Cascade range goes from Lassen National Park in northern California all the way up into British Columbia. And we're just north of the California border. So we're in southern Oregon, like I said, and we're the second major volcano from the south on the chain of 13 major volcanoes in the high cascades. So the place, you know, if you were coming, if you're traveling here, uh, you could easily drive from Portland, but uh, there's closer airports in uh, Medford or Redmond near Bend. You could drive in from Klamath Falls or Ashland. If you look at a map, it's pretty easy to find. Southern Oregon is kind of sparse, except for some of the major cities and the big mountains. And so we're kind of in the middle of it all. Yeah, actually, I, uh, and just being an East Coast guide, uh, my orientation was a little bit off. I didn't realize how close you were to the California border. Relatively speaking, uh, you know, we did the Crater Peak hike 
And um, actually, we had a, a we'll talk about this a bit about a, we had a rare clear day. We'll talk about why it hasn't been uh, so clear. Mm-hmm. But we can see right into California. And if I'm remembering correctly, Mount Shasta, am I getting that right? Or uh, is that the peak in California that we would be able to see? Yeah, Mount Shasta is a huge peak. It's about 14,000 feet tall. And uh, it is just over the border. Um, I think it's about, you know, I'd have to look on the map, but 80 or 100 miles away. But you can see it, you know, as the bird flies. But you can see it on a clear day. And But it has to be very clear. So you're lucky to see it. But like the weather we've had recently, you can see it. And it's neat uh, when you're visiting the park to be able to see a, a volcano the size that Mount Mazama used to be, you know, before it collapsed. So that's a great segue. So uh, Mount Mazama collapsed, forming the the lake. Is that uh, so, so? Can you walk us through exactly what happened, and then how did we end up with the, as you said, John, the deepest lake in America? How did that end up in the caldera? We don't know exactly what happened. The more we research the volcano, the more we add to our scientific understanding of the uh, volcanic complex that we call Mount Mazama. But in, essentially, this volcano in the High Cascades grew up over nearly half a million years, about 420,000 years. And volcanoes are vents for lava. And the lava is coming from underground. Of course, we call it magma. And that magma here on the West Coast is coming from the subduction zone. The seafloor, the Pacific Ocean is sliding under, is actually diving under Oregon. And so as it goes deeper into the mantle, the ocean floor actually melts and then it, it starts to move upwards through the crust and it melts other types of crust, crustal rocks. And then they'll end up pooling under under the surface and creating a magma chamber, which then vents quite regularly, actually, we think, uh, throughout the life of a large stratovolcano or composite volcano like Mount Mazama is. So this volcano grew up, over, like I said, over uh, almost half a million years. But then we think it, it likely became plugged up on the top. Uh, a, a lot of the eruptions from a stratovolcano will be very frothy. The lava will flow very slowly. And in some cases, they can actually... Uh, the, the lava will flow so slowly that it will solidify. It will freeze solid right inside the, the eruption crater and, and seal it off. So we think that potentially about 70,000 years ago, an event like that must have sealed off Mount Mazama so that it couldn't easily vent. And then uh, the pressure in that magma chamber began to grow because subduction, you know, the, the ocean floor sliding under Oregon continued even though the, the volcano was plugged. So the pressure in the magma chamber grew to an extent that we think it popped that top off the volcano. It erupted, you know, we think out the north side of the volcano. It was such a big eruption that a ring fracture, we call it, fractured all the way around the volcano's summit. And uh, generally, the shape of, that we see Crater Lake today is about the shape of the ring fracture. And once this volcano fractured all the way around its summit, then that magma was able to release into the atmosphere, not just through the top of the mountain, but all the way around the mountain. And it uh, created a really, really huge eruption. We think that it could have been heard in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, once that ring fracture went. And, you know, that at the speed of sound, that, that would take two hours for that noise to get to St. Louis, Missouri. So this is, a, this is a big eruption. And there were lots of people living around at the time. This was only 7,700 years ago. And and the Pacific Northwest was fully inhabited by people. So, you know, it, it erupted and put a lot of ash up into the air. That ash went all the way around the globe. It, it landed most thick, uh, you know, northeast of the volcano into northeastern Oregon and Montana and uh, Canada, all the way up into Greenland. But while all this ash was up in the air, you know, the, the mountain essentially became sitting on top of a large empty hole in the ground because that magma chamber, the eruption was so strong, that magma chamber almost completely emptied out underneath the mountain. The magma chamber, we think, was two to six miles below the mountain. So it was really deep down there. But 
the mountain essentially, Mount Mazama, the volcano, it dropped almost like a piston in a cylinder down into that magma chamber and it left a, an enormous caldera. Now that, that hole in the ground, the caldera, the collapsed volcano, it would have filled in with lava that fell from the sky, mostly ash and pumice. Um, and also there were subsequent eruptions from the bottom of the caldera forming four different volcanoes that are actually inside the Crater Lake Caldera. One, one of them is Wizard Island. So all this, you know, this, this destruction happened, but that lava that filled in at the bottom of the caldera pretty much sealed it off, uh, almost making it like a pool bottom. And then, like you mentioned, we, we get a lot of snow here in Oregon and uh, a lot of rain and a lot of precipitation in general. So the volcanologists think that it probably took about 700 years of winters of our major precipitation to, to fill in that caldera up to its present level. And then it's actually been right about the same level. The lake has been about the same level uh, since then because it, it actually has a bit of an overflow drain uh, on the north side of the, the volcano that, that almost lets the Crater Lake drain, like overflow drain on a bathtub in your bathroom. So, I mean, that's a great overview. So along those lines, what what makes Crater Lake kind of a natural laboratory? And and maybe with this, explain a little bit of what the uh, Science and Learning Center does, but what makes it a unique laboratory for visitors uh, to, to see and, and work with? Well, you know, I, I think one powerful reason, and, and maybe in my opinion, the most powerful reason that uh, Crater Lake inspires folks to wonder is that it provides an experience that is uh, completely out of the ordinary. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a deep lake, but it's the, the color. And, and Brian, you were there on a clear day, so you can probably attest to the, to the blue color of the lake. The lake is bluer than the sky. It's incredible. And it's sitting in the top of a big mountain. So that alone, I mean, most of the time you drive down into a valley to get to a lake that's in a depression. But this at Crater Lake, you drive all the way up to the to the top of a mountain to look down into this lake. So that alone is strange. But then, you know, that old growth forest that I mentioned before, we know that that, that started to grow back after this cataclysmic eruption 7,700 years ago. And so we have a pretty good idea of regrowth of a forest after a cataclysmic event like this. For example, in Mount St. Helens, they're currently studying what happens to a volcano just, you know, decades after an eruption. Well, well, at Crater Lake, we can study what happens to a, a volcano, you know, 7,000 years after an eruption. And then, you know, the other thing that really strikes people um, and in, inspires people to uh, conduct research or, or teachers take kids on a field trip or to go on vacation or, or even to work at Crater Lake is just how beautiful it is coupled with that story of destruction. The geologic story of Crater Lake is, is an incredibly uh, scary story of how it changed, you know, the people, the plants and animals that lived around the, the volcano. But now today we're so lucky to go there and have it be this peaceful, beautiful spot. So all those things combined, you know, of course, Wizard Island, uh, I, I work with a lot of kids. And so Wizard Island is, is inspirational in and of itself. And so the, you mentioned the Crater Lake Science and Learning Center, and I'm the education coordinator for the Science and Learning Center. And our mission is to connect the park's research with students, artists, visitors, and park staff. Located in a beautifully restored historic building, it's actually the historic superintendent's residence at the park. It's, it's pretty awesome. And it's open to the public throughout the summer, but truly it's a beautiful building with office spaces in it. It's not a museum like some people expect. But the Science and Learning Center is more of a human endeavor that, that exists throughout the park, the surrounding communities, and as well as reaches out internationally with Crater Lake sister parks in Slovenia and China. The most visitor contact we have is on field trips. We get about 6,000 students, teachers, and parents that come up for uh, our field trips in the spring and fall. But we also do public events in the summer that, uh, that are family-friendly and 
and yeah, you can check them all out on our website. Yeah, I want to I want to get into that a little bit. And we will in terms of activities, but I just wanted to underscore that contrast. And you're right, is that contrast of this spectacularly blue lake, um, which depending where you are, I mean, you could see down dozens and dozens of meters pretty easily, which is which is a rare thing to do. And then in the contrast of being in a caldera uh, up that high, it's uh, it is a pretty amazing spot. And mm-hmm. what I, you know, of course, I'd seen pictures and I was excited to go. I did not realize how big it was, too. So also that scale. And when you try to wrap your mind around what that explosion must have been like, obviously not standing right there, but even a ways away, the scale of it is pretty amazing. It was a lot bigger, a lot bigger than I thought and just almost overwhelming in, um, in that regard. So again, it's a lot to dig into if you're a new visitor and you're, and you're there. So I'm glad the Science Center is there. What are, so John, what are some of the activities that a, uh, you know, a family was just rolling in for the weekend or for the week? What are some of the activities they could do at the Science Center? And then we can talk about some of the, the activities writ large around the park. Well, you know, so um, if, the, if people are just rolling in during the summer, then like I said before, the Science and Learning Center is, is mostly just doing special events. So if they happen to be there on the weekend, we're having an art show or a bio blitz or some other kind of special event, then they'll be able to catch it. But a little more generally in Crater Lake National Park, we have a robust junior ranger program. And I really think that that would be the the number one place for any family to start is to uh, stop in the visitor center and and get, uh, you know, enough copies for for the kids or whoever wants to do it of of the junior ranger activity book. And, you know, you, you, you complete some of the activities and I think seven of the 11 activities and yet earn a badge. But really, a lot of families will stop by and they'll they'll take that book and it will they'll use that as a as a jumping off point to kind of plan their their other activities in the park uh, to know what to look for to know what they want to do so that's always i think in in any national park the junior ranger booklet is the is the thing to do but also uh, science and learning center staff as well as just general uh, park ranger staff conducts junior ranger programs so the ranger guided programs all summer long throughout the day up at the rim village visitor center yeah and so the, those, you know, you can earn a patch so uh, kids can do, but or any, it's there's no age limit. You can you can do the program and get a patch, and you can do the book and get a badge. And for most people, you know, I think that's pretty much what the kids are looking for. And then beyond that, you know, I, I would say uh, our general guided hike, our sunset hike is po- is really popular. Families and then our any of our uh, evening ranger programs are all really great for the kids. But as far as the science learning center only, we do mostly special events and field trips. So if you you know if you were a homeschool group or, or a public school or a private school and you were coming up during the spring and fall, the science learning center would offer a whole smorgasbord of, of activities. But for the general public, I think the the best thing to do is to find a ranger and ask for the junior ranger activity book because that'll really set you set you up for a uh, for educational experience. So you spoke a little bit about hikes and I think I'd like to start there. Of course, Crater Lake is the centerpiece of the park in an obvious way. So you arrive at the park, how do would you approach the lake? What are some hikes? What are some turnoffs? Would you drive first or are there some pretty good hikes or turnoffs that you would recommend? And at what time of day? Cuz my brother and I realized there were certain times of day where some of the spots we went to were spectacular. Could you recommend uh, walk through that and recommend how one can orient themselves to the park? And uh, what are some of the best ways to really kind of soak in that uh, 
figuratively, I guess. We'll talk literally in a minute, but figuratively soak in the lake. Yeah, well, you know, if if you're going for the first time and you're not and you're not going with somebody who's been before, you're not going on a any kind of guided tour, uh, I would really suggest driving around the lake. Now, you can only drive all the way around the lake from about 4th of July, sometimes earlier, depending on the snowpack, till about uh, November 1st. And, and they, that date can be a little earlier, too, if it snows too early. But basically, most of our visitation is most people come up during the summer. And if you just go and drive around the lake and take, you know, it'd take a couple hours to do it so you can stop, that will give you a really good big dose of, of Crater Lake. Because not only do you get the wild view, the color, but if you drive around the thing, you really get to um, see how spectacularly large it is, like you mentioned. So that's probably what I would do. Now, when I bring family or friends that have never seen Crater Lake before, I usually either take them right to Rim Village, and that's right on the Rim Drive. Yeah. And I just you know, let them experience. There's a Senate Memorial Overlook, and, and just give them some time right in Rim Village, because there is the visitor center there. There's uh, interpretive panels, and it's a good place to start learning. Depending on who I take, sometimes I'll take them right to the Sun Notch Trail. And the Sun Notch Trail is a it's seven-tenths of a mile. It's on the East Rim Drive. It's a pretty easy trail. It's created for wheelchair use with assistance. But you get off of the road, and your very first view of Crater Lake is on a trail on a cliffside with no cars around. There's usually some people there, you know, taking pictures. Everywhere you go around Crater Lake, regardless of, you know, the season's going to uh, kind of impact the access of, of how far around you can go. But Every viewpoint you go to, whether it's on the map or you just kind of uh, wander down the, the trail from a pull-off, you're going to find incredible views of Crater Lake. So, you know, I, I think that once you go a couple times, you can definitely start to find your favorite spots. But uh, again, I just wanted to reiterate, if it's your first time to Crater Lake, I would just go drive around it. And then, you know, if you don't want to drive around it, because, you know, it is kind of a narrow, windy mountain road, <laughs> you can do a trolley tour. And those trolley tours are great. They might be a little sedentary for kids, though. If you have young kids, like, like under eight, they might get a little bored on the trolley tour. Whereas if you drove around, you know, as if you were as the parent, as the driver, you'd, you would have a less relaxing experience, but, um, but you would, the kids would have more chance to, to go at their pace instead of the trolley guide's pace. So, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I would start is, is just go experience the lake however you feel like it. And driving around is, is the most convenient way to, do, to check out the different sites. And how long would it take one to drive around? Well, if you just drove with no stopping, which which I really don't recommend, uh, it would only take you about an hour. Um, so I would recommend anybody to spend at least two hours altogether so that you can uh, stop a handful of times, you know, five, six, seven times um, around the lake to, to get out, take pictures, um, just, just check it out. And, and there's interpretive yeah. uh, waysides around the lake so you can learn about it as you go. Um, but, you know... Also, if, if you wanted to go up and just drive around the lake and make a day of it, a pack a picnic, you know, there's beautiful rock walls around the lake and you could spend three hours, four hours out there. There's picnic areas all around the lake. You know, you could, you could build any number of hikes into your journey around the lake. So um, you could really make a full day of it, but I would say give yourself at least two hours. Yeah, that's, that seems about right. And I have to, I have to second your notion on Sun Notch. My brother and I did that. And also, at Sun Notch, you can look down and see Phantom Ship, which is, of course, the other 
island yes. uh, that is uh, aside from Wizard Island that is in the lake. And so it's a great view of uh, getting that perspective. And we, we got that later in the day and we had some great sunlight and uh, uh, we had a great photo opportunity. Uh, so, all right. So we've, we've driven around. I want to knock this out for a second because I had the insane notion uh, my brother and I would, uh, you know, we'd rent bikes and bike around. And I, I think uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go mm. with my opinion, but, but John here, feel free to uh, disagree. Uh, you should be a really avid biker. If you're going to bike around, it is an undulating uh, road and uh, in some regards pretty narrow too. So I, uh, I'm glad uh, my brother disabused me of that, but, but do you agree or disagree? Is it a, is it a, is it a, <laughs> a gentle, relaxing bike ride or uh, more strenuous? Yeah, no, it's for, yeah. expert road cyclist. It, it really is because it's about 33 miles, which is a long bike ride. It's, it's in the mountains. You're, you're at high altitude. It's not flat. That's for sure. It's, it's all up and down. And, um, you know, it's, it, it can be downright scary. The roads are narrow. There's not big shoulders. There is no bike lane and there's up to 40 foot RVs coming down yeah. on these roads. And so I would never take a family out biking on the rim drive. Me personally, I, 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 I'm a cyclist and I like to bike on the rim drive early in the summer before when it's, when it's pretty much snow free and they haven't opened the gate to traffic yet. Or this time of year, the gate is, was closed and we have a hard closure for rim drive on November 1st, but the whole drive is dry right now. So the, this, these are great times in the shoulder season. You can take your whole family, go out biking on it. Now, there are a couple weekends in September. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're generally back-to-back, and, and you'd have to go check out the website to see if we posted which weekends they will be uh, this year, but it's always in September. And we have two car-free weekends. They're very, very popular, so you would definitely need to get reservations at the campground early if you wanted to do it. But we do close the East Rim Drive, which is the majority of the circumference of the lake, to traffic, and we make it to bicycle and pedestrian traffic, and uh, it's much safer way to explore the lake and, and it's very popular because i think the the bicycle is a really nice pace to go out there and explore the lake but you know you have people that are going at different paces and different size vehicles so right and you're not dodging rvs and trucks we were there actually we were there a weekend where it was closed uh for at least the saturday if i recollect uh for the bike traffic so just as a mm-hmm. tip, if you're there, you know, we were, you know, we were of, uh, very much, very much permitted to get to our campsite. We just couldn't drive around, but it was pretty easy just to get to our campsite and then we can make it around a little bit. But yeah, the roads were, uh, were closed for bicyclists, bicyclists. So that's another option. So now I, you know, I want to get down in it. So, uh, talk to me about swimming at Crater Lake National Park. You have this huge lake. Uh, wh- where can I swim? Where's the beach? <laughs> well, there, there's only a, a couple beaches, and uh, and they're secret. Oh, really? But I the, was uh, Oh yeah. Oh, okay. You know, they're they're not the they're not the camp uh, comfortable white sand beaches you might be expecting. But there are uh, there's some beaches to be found. Um, one in particular, I'm thinking out on Wizard Island. Um, but none of it's easy to get to. There, there only there's only two easy places to swim, and um, and that is right at uh the docks at Cleetwood Cove so the there's only one trail down to the lake and and you have to go uh down a steep trail so it's definitely not for everybody but swimming in Crater Lake's not for everybody either because it's quite cold and you can swim right around there and you can explore east and west of Cleetwood Cove a little bit but you get cliffed out really fast and um you can't bring any kind of boats or 
float toys or anything like that. So it's limited, but a lot of people like to, um, if, you know, if they do a little planning ahead, reserve a, a boat tour ticket out to wizard Island. And then at wizard Island, you know, the docks, um, wizard Island are great to swim off of, but you can actually go as far as you want around the Island with the time you have allotted to swim. And uh, a lot of people like to fish and, and just go explore. Of course, uh, probably the major attraction on wizard Island would be to, to hike to the crater on the top. But a lot of people, you know, if they take a three hour tour over to wizard Island where they're dropped off for three hours. They'll go up to the summit as fast as they can, come back down, and then spend the next uh, the last hour or so just swimming off the dock. And so, um, oh, and then temperature wise, like when you would want to go, definitely go for the heat of the summer. If, if you're gonna, it's you know it's always cold, but if you go down to the Cleetwood Cove in August, it's going to be busy. But the lava rocks when you get out are going to be really warm, and the and the top surface layer of the water can be you know, comfortable enough to to jump in and out several times. So. Uh, so yeah, it's always kind of a, a, a feat of uh, courage to jump in, but uh, but a lot of people feel like they they take something away from it too. So I I think you have to do it. I mean, obviously, unless it's you know right now in this time of year, uh, my brother and I were there in early September, and we did exactly we we swam from Cleetwood Cove, and then we did the Wizard Island tour, and we we did exactly as you said, we jumped in mm. from the docks, and yes, it was bracing and cold, but. Uh, the other thing to think about, I, I'd recommend is you get another. You've had the perspective along the rim or on trails, but now you get another perspective of the lake when you're in the lake. So I think that was pretty cool to have another perspective when you're swimming around at obviously head level. That was just another great, uh, another great, great way to see the lake. And of course, yes, the water's a bit cold. I think it was like 58 when we jumped in, uh, but that's about as clean of water as you're mm-hmm. going to get. So it was, uh, it was worth a little bit of discomfort when we, uh, when we jumped in, but, uh, let's, let's stick in the water here. And, uh, so now, John, tell me about fishing. What's my limit? Uh, how much can I pull out and where do I get my license? Well, you don't need a license at all. We, uh, we're technically a, uh, a federal enclave. So we're, even though uh, Crater Lake National Park is in Oregon and, and we do follow Oregon state law, um, we do not have to follow Oregon fishing regulations. And because the fish in Crater Lake are invasive species, although the National Park Service did put them there in the past, we want them out and it's no easy task. And, you know, we don't actually think that anglers are going to go and and fix our invasive species problem, but we do want to encourage people to come and fish on the lake. And, you know, they originally were stocked there for recreation. So it is uh, traditionally a, a, a part of recreation at the park, but you don't need a license. The only regulation is, and you could take as many as you want, you could take them all if you'd like. The only regulation is, is you can't bring any more invasive species with you. So you can't bring, like I said before, any boats or or floaties or waders or wetsuits or anything like that. But also you can't use um, any kind of live bait or power bait. You know, you would definitely need to just use lures. It's pretty popular for fly fishermen to take their try at it. Now, I am not an angler myself, but I've seen some people catch fish down there, and I, and I do have a tip. If you're going to fish, you just got to get there before everybody's jumping in the water, right? Scaring the fish away. Because the, the water's so clear, you can see the fish from really far away, but they can see you too. So I've seen people go down there just, uh, you know, in the morning before the boat tours start, maybe right around 8, 8.30 in the morning in the summer. And they'll be able to spot the rainbow trout that they want and cast out. And I've seen people pull out, you know, up to 24 inch rainbow trout from the lake. 
And, you know, uh, some people catch and release, some people uh, go and, and eat it. And I've never actually uh, eaten fish from the lake. I'm, I'm not a big fish fan myself, but people tell me it's some of the best tasting fish, at least the rainbow trout they've ever had. So that clear, pure water must do something for them. Yeah, it's a regret of mine. I kind of wish we had some tackle because we saw some guys while we were messing around by the docks who were uh, were fishing. I, I I knew what the rules were, so that's why I was you know half joking about what's what's the limit where we get the license. It's basically pull them all out if you want, as you said. Mm-hmm. We are fish guys, given where my brother and I grew up. We ate seafood all the time, so very curious about that. But let's let's say we did pull out some trout. Where would we camp to grill that up? Can you talk to me a little about front country camping? And maybe we can talk about a little bit of backcountry camping and some of these backcountry trails. But first off, uh, where, where would I camp for the night? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Crater Lake has a, has a large, really beautiful, well-taken-care-of campground, and it's called Mazama Campground. It's not up on the lake. You can't see – you actually can't camp anywhere front country or during the summer at all with a view of Crater Lake just based on the topography. It wouldn't be possible. But Mazama Campground has over 200 spots some of them have full RV hookups. Some of them are tent only. And uh, it's it's really a, quite a nice campground with, with a lot of privacy, especially considering how many people can camp there. Reservations are, are recommended during the high season. So, you know, July, August, I would definitely get reservations, but they do allow for walk-up campers as well. So if you went down to Crater Lake, you know, and you spent the whole day on Wizard Island and you got tired fishing and you really wanted to camp, you know, you could still go over to to the campground at at four or five in the evening and say, Hey, you know, is there a tent only spot uh, or something like that open? And uh, and you could still get in. So I would say that's the the best option, especially for families, because we have, you also at Mazama campground, you have evening ranger programs, you have a camp store, there's a restaurant, you know, if you, if you didn't catch fit and it really has all the, all the amenities you really need. It even has showers and flush uh, toilets and bathrooms and that kind of thing. Now there is one other front country campground in Crater Lake, and that's called the Lost Creek Campground. And um, it's, it's really the opposite as far as front country campgrounds go from Mount, or excuse me, from the Mazama Village campgrounds. It's very limited uh, in sites. There's, uh, yeah. I believe, 16 sites. There's just portable toilets, no water, and it's tent only. So it's really for folks that are just kind of going primitive camping. It's also not available for reservation. It's only for walk-up. So if you ever came to Crater Lake on a really busy day and you couldn't get a campsite, it might be worth driving at Mazama. It might be worth driving over to Lost Creek to check. Now, I should say, if you have your own water and food and you don't need hookups, Crater Lake National Park yeah. is surrounded by national forest. And out here in Oregon, there's no uh, shortage of, of forest roads. And uh, so, you know, you can legally camp up to 14 days in the forest, all surrounding the park. So, You'll see that on really busy weekends or on the shoulder seasons after our campgrounds close down or before they're open. A lot of people take advantage of the public land surrounding the park. So now that we've kind of know where we're staying, of course, for high rollers, you can stay at the, at the lodge too. What are some of the things that we could see? You know, I mentioned this a bit before about the old growth forest. What could we see? What kind of, uh, what kind of flora could we see that it would be typical for Crater Lake, uh, the Crater Lake Park in the region? And what are some good trails in the backcountry if we were, you know, hiking away from the lake and wanted to get out in the backcountry and get away from everybody? What, what would you recommend? Because Crater Lake is, is a pretty big mountain, you can actually get a lot of different types of flora depending on your elevation zones. The iconic tree that you would see at Crater Lake 
there's really kind of two of them and they and they're up right on the rim and and they're both worth checking out. So let's say you go up to Rim Village just to find a parking spot and use the bathroom, go to the visitor center, get your map. You have a bunch of really tall trees that droop over on the top and they almost look like they should be from a Dr. Seuss book. Those are mountain hemlocks and they are the dominant tree type up around the rim of Crater Lake. So uh, when, when you're especially on the south rim there up a rim village, when you walk back into the forest, you're going to be in a mountain hemlock forest. But then right along the rim, and, and if you go, you know, if you look at postcards or, or Google search, you know, cool pictures of Crater Lake, you're going to see these really gnarled trees, these pine trees growing right on the rim. And those are our white bark pines. Those are the other kind of iconic plant species up at, at Crater Lake. And, uh, and some of them are dead. They, they are facing some issues. The, their population is facing issues at the park. But whether dead or alive, they're very interesting looking trees. And, and they're often the ones you'll see in, in photos. Now, both those trees, you know, they, they actually they create the forest. And the forest is, is filled with the animals and other plants, of course. And so, you know, if you're just going to go walk right around the Rim Village, for example, before you go into the backcountry, you'd be looking mostly for birds, you know, songbirds. Uh, different types of jays, uh, raptors out over the water. You know, you could see bald eagles, golden eagles, osprey. But if you wanted to get out into the uh, backcountry and really explore uh, some of the different types of, of forest, you know, there's a lot of good trails. You mentioned Crater Peak, Brian, and that one is is really cool. You know, the one reason Crater Peak is the Crater Peak Trail is not always the most sought after is because there's no view of Crater Lake from that trail. But no, no, but we had it to ourselves. I mean, we, we, it was just my brother and me and that was it. Yeah. So it was, it was a great way to get away from, and it was a spectacular hike. So it, it, uh, it was a great way to get, get away from everybody. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you walk through a lot of different forest types on that trail and, um, and it's quite beautiful. Now I would say my personal favorite for backcountry trails is another trail that you cannot see Crater Lake itself from. And that's the Union Peak Trail. And again, you'll, you'll not see too many people on your Union Peak Trail. And it also, about half of that, the distance to get out to Union Peak is on the Pacific Crest Trail. So if you were going to come up to Crater Lake and you had a couple days or it's your second time to the lake or something and you wanted to explore something a little bit, you know, off the beaten path, all you got to do is on Highway 62, there's where, where the, the Pacific Crest Trail passes through the park. Uh, and crosses Highway 62, you can park right there and you and you hike south on the Pacific Crest Trail until you get to the Union Peak Trail. And then you uh, follow a trail and it goes all the way up to the summit of Union Peak, which is a really neat uh, mountain. It's a sharp mountain. And so, yeah, that, that one also you get to go through multiple forest types. You get to knock out a summit, Pacific Crest Trail, and you get that wilderness experience that is sometimes a little difficult to get right around the rim on a busy you know day in the summer. Yeah. And by the way, I'm glad you mentioned, John, the Pacific Coast Trail. You know, what occurred to me in visiting is that how much the PCT is part of the DNA of Crater Lake National Park. Of course, the lake is the the marquee, uh, iconic centerpiece of the park. But I was surprised about how much the PCT, I kept hearing about it. We went to a ranger, pro, uh, ranger talk at night at Mazama about the PCT. We met through hikers. Of course, we were in the backcountry and um, there were through hikers at our backcountry campsite. So it, it, I was really impressed about how, how the PCT matters 
to Crater Lake National Park and how much the park matters to the PCT. So I'm glad you mentioned that a bit because uh, it's it's not a small thing with regards to the park. So I, I talked a little bit about backcountry. Where else would you camp backcountry? My brother and I did. I, I'm not going to tell you where we, we where we went. I want to see if, uh, if our notes matches up with yours. If you had to go in the backcountry, what's a good backcountry campsite at uh, Crater Lake National Park? Well, you know, the, the reality is, is backcountry camping at Crater Lake is – a bit limited. And and so I, I kind of want people to to know what the realities are before I give any kind of recommendation or ideas of, of where you could go. At Crater Lake, you cannot backcountry camp or, 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 you know, camp at all within one mile of any maintained road, with the exception of the Lightning Springs camp. And I bet you that's where you went, Brian, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that's where we went. <laughs> um, and that's our most popular camp. And, and, and the Lightning Springs, it's popular because it's convenient and um, it, it might be a little too convenient for, for you know, the, it gets a lot of use. But it's a great option, especially in the shoulder seasons where it's, where it's not packed. Um, it does fill up a lot with the Pacific Crest Trail hikers, though, like you mentioned. Now, let me kind of tell you the, the, the reality and then, and then what is so special about backcountry camping at Crater Lake. So because you can't camp within a mile, in any direction from a maintained road, you definitely can't camp with a view of Crater Lake during the summer. And if you take a map and you draw out those buffers of that mile, it, it shows that a lot of Crater Lake is actually, you're not allowed to backcountry camp in. Now, the parts that you are, there's two issues. One, there's not a lot of trail access, which is no big deal. You can hike off trail in Crater Lake if you're prepared, you know where you're going. But the other thing is, is there's not a lot of water out there in Crater Lake. And where there is water, it's often in creeks that are cut very, very deep into pumice valleys that are dangerous or impossible to get down to. So backcountry camping in the summer at Crater Lake is pretty cool if you can get into to Lightning Springs like you guys did. Um, but if you really want to get out to a site, or, you know, either our dispersed camping sites or our dispersed camping areas, I should say, or, or designated backcountry sites, you're likely going to have to carry a lot of water with you and you won't see the lake. But the flip side to all that is for about eight months out of the year, the rim drive is not maintained. It's covered in snow. Now, you know, winter camping is its own skill set, but we have such a long winter that you can go out in the spring and I mean, April or May. And the road is still closed, but the weather can be nice. I mean, if you get a nice forecast, you could have, you know, 70 degree days in sun. And then whether you're on snowshoes or skis, you only have to go a mile from Rim Village, which, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And all of a sudden, not only do you have the entire park where you can backcountry camp, but you can also camp with views of the lake because you can be up near the rim. Of course, you wouldn't want to set your camp right up on the cliff's edge. But um, and so, you know, Crater Lake is it's, it's a little limited in the summer, but in the winter, it's it's a pretty amazing place to backcountry camp because the road is plowed up to about 7000 feet above sea level. And then you just strap on your snowshoes, your skis and you go, uh, you know, as far as you want. Some people go all the way around the lake camping multiple nights. But a lot of people, including myself, would like to go out, you know, for an overnighter here or there and, uh, and more for the experience than the, the extreme exercise, you know, to, to go far out. And it's really quite easy to do. And, and the wilderness experience at Crater Lake 
you know, in the summer, as you experience, it can be very quiet at night. And then, you know, imagine that in the winter when, when the, the ground is blanketed with snow, it, it's, it's really incredible. So I definitely don't want to dissuade people from backpacking at Crater Lake in the summer, but it's not like Grand Teton where you're going to have a variety of backpacking loops to do. It's more going to be like limited backcountry camping sites and some of them don't have good water. So that's just kind of the reality. But Crater Lake, I mean, Southern Oregon, there's a lot of really good backcountry camping all around the area. So it's easy to compartmentalize Crater Lake and and put it in the the boundary that it is. But um, if you were taking a trip to this part of the country into Southern Oregon or, or the Northwest, you know, definitely bring your backpacking stuff, but Crater Lake just might only offer a night or two of the experience. Yeah. A couple of things that are the height of irony is that, uh, as you say, that fresh water is not really available in the backcountry, but of course, Crater Lake is, uh, tri- uh, you know, millions and millions and millions of gallons of the freshest, most potable water you can get. Uh, so, so near so far. And then of course, the other thing, you, you know, you talk about kind of the extensive trail system, but of course, Pacific Crest Trail is one of the largest trail systems in the world going from Mexico up to Canada, passing by the park. But, you know, you have this limited trail system, generally speaking, for Crater Lake National Park. You know, that, that's, that's pretty ironic. I know. And the, the, just to interject there, the Pacific Crest Trail, I mean, the, the through hikers who or any, any section hikers, anybody doing the trail is, is committed. I mean, I think that's, that's a big part of it, the commitment, right? And so they're, they're walking, you know, some people from, from Mexico all the way to Canada, and Crater Lake is one of the few parts of the Pacific Crest Trail where people willingly, voluntarily deviate from the trail to hike up to the rim, to, to camp at Lightning Springs where you did, and to get that view along the west side of Crater Lake before they drop back down onto the Pacific Crest. So, you know, of course, during certain years, because of a weather, maybe fire events or snow, people will have to to get off their route. But Crater Lake is a place where the view is so spectacular. Most people do deviate to get that view. And also, you know, if you, a lot of people are interested in, in the Pacific Crest. And if you're staying at Mazama Campground, the Mazama Camp Store is where a lot of through hikers pick up boxes that they mail to themselves yeah. with, with supplies. And so, you know, if, if you want to go chat with those some of those folks and see what they're up to, it is a place to to not just, you know, go for a little walk on the PCT and take a picture of the sign, but really to to get to know some of the folks that have made that that pretty extreme commitment to to walk for that distance. So yeah, it, it really is a cool part of our park. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, and I like that juxtaposition because you do get a lot of day visitors who maybe see the park from the windshield of that car. And then you have, then you have these people who are going to be hiking for four or five, six months. It's a, it's a pretty good contrast, but, uh, you know, one thing about the backcountry I also don't want to sell short is, uh, and you're probably used to it, but boy, there was great stargazing when we were there. Oh yeah, absolute great stargazing and meteors, and and uh, we we stayed up for a little while to make sure we can really soak that all in, because uh, of course you know that mountain air that clear and no light pollution by us, it was uh, really worth it. Which again, at Mazama, not that there was light pollution, but you know it's front country camping and we had trees surrounding us. But Lightning Springs, where we camped. We got out of the canopy of the forest and uh, there was a pumice field and we just kind of hung out in that pumice field and it was just uh, nothing but the heavens above us. So that was that was definitely a highlight, which I, for whatever reason, I didn't think too much about before we went. I was concentrating on the lake. Uh, no, I really appreciated that, which, you know, I want to, we're, we're close to bringing this in for a landing. So you mentioned winter. 
Uh, you mentioned summer's pretty busy. You know, do you recommend one season over the other, or is there a shoulder season you think is kind of a particular uh, secret secret inefficiency where people should show up? Or what are your thoughts there? Part of, of leave no trace ethics, which the National Park Service adheres to, is to try to spread out people's impacts. It's better for the, the natural resources. It's better for our infrastructure. I mean, our, our parking, our plumbing, all that stuff. If people spread out throughout the day and throughout the year. And so what we see is most folks come during, let's say, between uh, 4th of July and the end of August. And within those days, you know, most folks will come on Saturday or Sunday. And on any of those days, it's hard to find a parking spot between 1 and 3 p.m. And so, you know, it's, it's, we, we're about a two-hour drive from all the surrounding towns. And so hour and a half or two hours. So, you know, folks get up from wherever they're staying and have their breakfast and come up. And so most people just inevitably end up coming to the park at really similar times. It's actually pretty easy with a little bit of planning to have the park all to yourself. And so just to kind of break that down, I would say if you're going to come in the middle of the summer, shoot for a weekday, you know, ideally spend a couple of days in the park and camp or stay at the lodge. And that way you can really take advantage of the, the stargazing, like you mentioned, or, or the early morning hours. But, you know, whereas even on a, on a Saturday in the summer, Rim Village is you won't be able to find a parking spot, you know, at one in the afternoon. But at nine in the morning, it's quiet, it's peaceful, there's hardly anybody around. Now, if I was going to pick a month to recommend, I would say September, because we generally get really nice weather. It can snow in September, but, you know, it, it would not be a giant snowstorm for the most part. And it has really gotten quiet because a lot of folks are back in school. So for families, that could be hard. We get a lot of homeschool families and younger families uh, in September. But really, it depends a little bit on the year. Like this year, we've had really amazing shoulder seasons. June was relatively snow-free and uh, really good weather. Like I mentioned before, uh, this fall has been incredible. September, October, into November now, we still have really good weather. There's no snow on the ground at the park. So like, you know, today, this weekend would be a really great time to come to Crater Lake if you were so lucky to, because there's just not that many people. So I think when people are planning their trips, it's really understandable to end up having to go when everybody else goes because you have the the holiday weekend off or whatever but remember if you can plan to to fit in when it's not a popular time to go that's better for your experience and it's better for the park so it's 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 really important that people consider that because as our parks get more popular we're going to have to continue to figure out ways to to, to spread out the impact of all the people coming. Uh, yeah, and I'm, so I'm glad you said that because we were there in September, but it's also another another good segue because, now see, my brother and I were playing hooky, don't tell our bosses, but we were playing hooky and we were there September during the week and we thought we'd have the park to ourselves and it was packed to the gills and we couldn't figure out why, but if you remember what I said at the top of our discussion, we had remarkably clear days. And we realized that we well, were told it's pretty rare to have a clear day, especially this past summer. John, can you talk about why it was rare to have a clear day? What was going on that rare clear days were a premium? Yeah. Well, you know, um, in the past few summers we've had, uh, especially this summer, this past summer and the summer of last year, we've had some real significant fire smoke in the air, wildfire smoke in the air. And the American West wildfire is a part of the landscape. And it's to be expected to have haze in the air. And also, you know, there's, of course, if you look in the news, there's, there's several thousands of unfortunate people that need to evacuate their homes every summer. And some people lose their homes and some people lose their lives. And so the, the fire is, is a very serious part of the landscape out here. 
But whether the fires are burning in Crater Lake or out of Crater Lake or in Oregon or in California or Idaho, um, it can really largely impact the air quality. So that's definitely something to consider, not just for for your views and your pictures. For people with sensitive groups, you know, maybe you have asthma or you're very young or you're very old, it's not healthy to be out in that fire smoke. And then, you know, it can, at least for short times in the day, become toxic. It can become hazardous just for for anybody to be out breathing to the point where we've had to limit some of our work as rangers in the past couple summers because of it. This summer, you know, uh, if you were there on a clear day, you probably didn't see it. But on on smoky days, people would be wearing smoke masks around. Oh, wow. Yeah. I work with some folks who have been at, at Crater Lake for about 25 years. And I asked them, how often have you seen summers this smoky in the last 25 years? And they said, last summer and this summer. So it seems like the program, uh, I mean, if you look at the fires in California, uh, it, it seems like wow. wildfire is starting to become a little more intense and uh, and continue to threaten our infrastructure. So, so yeah, the, the, the thing to do with the wildfire, if you're planning a trip, if you're going to plan a trip to the West Coast, anywhere almost, after mid-July and, you know, before November, you can expect some wildfire to, to be there. But when the wildfires are burning, we generally have pretty accurate smoke forecasts, a lot of smoke monitors out. You know, a lot of people will say, I've heated my house with a wood stove my whole life. I'm fine going for a hike in this smoke. But some people, you know, it's a real issue. And so, so you have to know your own sensitivities and, uh, and just find out where to get that forecast. We have links to that forecast on our website during the, during the summer and, uh, and so, yeah, you do want to be prepared. And that's the same goes for, for winter weather. You know, there's a lot of hazards at Crater Lake that should be avoided. And you kind of have to look before you go, right? Because it's a long drive to get to Crater Lake. So, for example, in the, in the winter, some people drive all the way up and the road to the lake is closed because it snowed so hard. And, uh, you know, this past summer, some people drove all the way up or maybe flew across the entire world to come see Crater Lake and they couldn't see it because the caldera was filled with smoke. So a bit of it's a luck of the draw, but also just a little bit of, of planning and looking at the, the information that is out there, especially on the internet, can really help plan your trip. And not just at Crater Lake, but really at any uh, natural area. You know, That's a reality and we all have to be aware. We can't end on that down note though. I, I'd, uh, <laughs> so so we, we always end up on an up note here a bit, and, and especially with those of you who, uh, John, like you, who who work there. Do you have a story? Do you have like a, a story, a Crater Lake story where, you know, just your maybe your work day or maybe a day off where it really hits you like, boy, I, I work in a really special spot. Was there a certain, certain time of day or certain time of year where you, you really kind of uh, had that great euphoric feeling? You know, I've had so many of them. I, uh, I'm trying to think of trying to think of which one to, to tell you right now. But, but the one that popped in my head first because it was such a, a vivid images i was i was sitting on on a cliff and and i'm not going to tell you exactly where but it's uh it, it could have been any any cliff around the caldera but some of these cliffs you can get to and uh you can you know the rock is stable enough and i you know, got to be careful people do fall in but you know i i found a rock that was stable and i and i found a, a nice place to sit on it and um you know there was a a couple thousand foot drop between me and the blue surface of crater lake and I'd been sitting there for, for just a little while. And, uh, and Crater Lake is a quiet place. So generally, if you sit on a cliff and just hang out for, for a few minutes, even just four or five minutes, you'll start to hear rock fall. The Crater Lake is still falling apart. You know, the caldera walls are still falling in. So I was just listening to rock fall. And then a bald eagle flew 
below me, but it was only about 10 feet below me. I don't think it saw me. And it flew right. It was just soaring along the cliffs. And, you know, I've, I've been close to eagles before sitting on a, on a stump or whatever, but, but this eagle was in its element and it didn't see me there. And I got to just witness it really doing what I think everybody wants to do when they go to Crater Lake is just soar around it and, and feel that freedom. So, you know, that sticks out in my mind as, as a really neat nature experience I've had there. But there's been so many. It's, it's really, you know, it's a busy park, but it's so easy to find those places to get away. Uh, regardless of the season. And and, you, and it sounds like you guys found that, Brian. Just go slightly off the beaten path and and you do, sit down for, for 10, 20 minutes, as long as you can handle and, and see what happens because there's there's a lot of magic out there. So that's probably the one thing that if, if I could have it happen over again today, I would probably pick that. That sounds like an amazing note to end on. And uh, well, again, John Dewey, Education Coordinator, Science and Learning Center, Crater Lake National Park. What a great discussion. What are a lot of great tips? Uh, also, we realize as a man of mystery, you have secret cliffs. You also have secret beaches that you will not divulge, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, we really appreciate all the insight. And uh, thanks for your time. We're looking forward to seeing you back out there soon. Yeah, thank you a lot, Brian. We, we appreciate what you're doing, getting people prepared to have the best experience they can in our, in our amazing public land. So thank you for having me on and, uh, and have a great day. It's our pleasure. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. While there, consider clicking on support the show. You may find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you like the show, write a review and leave us a five-star rating. And please tell your friends. You may also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or send us your comments at everybodysnationalparks.com forward slash contact. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting. So please tag us at hashtag everybody's national parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.